Psalm 37. I'm going to read the first nine verses again. This is the third time that we looked at it now. Psalm 37. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like grass, and wither as the green herbs. But trust in the Lord, and do good. Dwell in the land, and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. You know, if you remember, we've spent the last two Sunday mornings looking at two golden nuggets uh, that we dug up from this hard rock of David's experience as recorded for us here in this psalm advice for the year that lay ahead in counsel for our lives that hasn't come to us through some classroom experience or some textbook study but through the furnace of David's experience you know when we read the story of David it's, it was a hard experience that he went through and yet Yuri tells us how he got through the things that he experience you know in times of great difficulty in times of fearful anticipation in times of uncertainty and of course we are we are facing at the moment that's that's what life is not at the moment these are our you know these we face all the time and david says trust in the lord and feed on his faithfulness david says delight yourself also in the lord David says, commit your ways to the Lord. And David says, rest in the Lord. You want to saw this morning, I'd just like us to look at the third charge that he outlines for us, and it's verses 5 and 6. Some lovely words. Verses 5 and 6. Commit you away to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noon day. Commit you away to the Lord. Perhaps so far the most difficult of the disciplines that we've looked at these last two Sunday mornings. You know, and here again is the scenario that uh, I tried to paint last Sunday evening using, of course, the story of the parents of Moses as the, an example of this actual discipline. You know, the moment when his mother had to take that basket and in it the most delightful, the most treasured possession that she had and she had to float it along the water until she got up to uh, such and such a depth. And then 
she had to let it go. She had to let it go, this treasure, this darling, this beautiful child that she had come to love so much because she had looked after him, she had hidden him, she had secreted him in her heart for three whole months and now it was time to let God take the reins of this little one's life. You know, in the moment that she let go of the basket, she committed everything into the hands of God. You know, when I said last week, we like the reins. You know, we are comfortable when we feel those leather straps resting in our own hands. You know, when we can decide how fast we go, we can decide where we go, we can decide how we get there. You know, if you remember last Sunday night, I did mention the, the driverless car situation. As we sit and look at the, the steering wheel moving by itself, as we notice the accelerator pressed against the floor, speeding us to our destination, how difficult it would be. And what a, a change will have to take place in me to sit in a car that hasn't got a driver in it. Because I likes to be in charge of the wheel. I likes to be in charge of the accelerator and the brake. You know, in fact, if I'm sitting by someone else, I've got an imaginary brake of my own. You know, when I see a car coming up a bit quick in front of us, my foot is as, forward, as far down on the floor as it would be if I had a real brake. It's not going to be easy to commit our ways to God. It's not going to be comfortable to let someone else have all the say in what we do and where we go and how we live our lives. But that's exactly what we have here. It's a picture of handing the reins of our lives over to someone else. And that someone, commit your way to the Lord. That someone is the Lord. Now that someone is someone who loves us. That someone is someone who only wants the best for us. Will only lead us in paths of righteousness. His grace and His mercy follows us every day of our lives. And even though we may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that someone will be there. And He will take us through all the circumstances that we are destined to go through. But it's going to be difficult to hand the reins over to that someone, even though we know deep down that that's the best thing for us to do. Letting him take the lead. Giving Christ the responsibility of our little three score years and ten. Something, of course, each of us did, basically, when we come to faith. Not only did we hand our three score years and ten over to him, but we handed over our eternal destiny to him. And our eternal welfare was given into someone else's hands. You know, and because of the gospel message, we took our hands off that part of our lives and gave it to him because he paid the price for our sins and he has made us accepted in the beloved. He has reconciled us. And he has sent his spirit to dwell within us as a foretaste of our eternal destination. So there is a part of us that has already handed over everything to him. 
So, if it's something that we've already done, and by definition can only do once and for all, then why this morning are we being exhorted to do it again? Why has David come and said, Commit your ways to the Lord? Why is it a part of God's counsel for us at the beginning of this year? You know, and the, the key, I think, to this discipline, to this piece of advice, is actually found for us in verse 6. The key to verse 5 is actually recorded for us in verse 6, where God is seen to uphold our character and reinforce our reputation before a world that is set on opposing us. Before a world that is set on pointing its finger at us. Before a world that is set on ridiculing us. Before a world that is set on blaming us. Listen to what it says. He, God, shall bring forth your righteousness as the light. And your justice as the noonday sun. God does that. He upholds our righteousness and our justice. Of course, this has become more poignant uh, for us this morning, especially after this week, as we've become aware of the news that Billy Graham's son, Franklin Graham, has been stopped from preaching the gospel in Liverpool on the grounds that it will incite violence I know I read this little um, sort of snippet uh, this week about the situation this is what it said and listen to this a Liverpool conference centre has cancelled a booking by the US evangelist Franklin Graham saying that he made statements that were incompatible to its values the ACC Liverpool had been due to host an event featuring Graham on the 12th of June as part of an eight-city tour of the UK. In Glasgow, the board of the Scottish Events Campus is understood to be meeting on Wednesday to hear arguments that Graham's event be cancelled. LGBTQ plus leaders in Sheffield, have called for Graham's event at Sheffield Arena to be scrapped. He is also due to appear in Newcastle, Milton Keynes, Cardiff, Birmingham and London. Graham, the son of the US preacher Billy Graham, has described same-sex relationships as sinful and has called Islam evil. Equality campaigners in Liverpool launched a petition against Graham's event saying his appearance may incite hateful mobilisation and risk the security of our LGBTQ plus community. That's the press release that has been released concerning this event. Now let's think about the man that is coming. He's a man who has committed his life to preaching the gospel, to promoting 
the love of God and the grace of God. And yet, this same man who resembles you and I has become a blot on our British landscape with views, and these are the words that are used, that are so repulsive and incompatible that they have no place in our society and are actually a danger to our society. Now that's not only aimed at him, but that is also aimed at us. We're in a world that is set against the gospel of Jesus Christ, set against our Lord Jesus Christ, and set against the presentation of the message of grace and love, and has become for our society repulsive and incompatible with the way that we live. Now, are we surprised? Of course we're not surprised. Because Paul has told us that this exact thing will take place. He tells Timothy, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal despisers um, of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. You know, as I was reading that and uh, writing that for this morning, I thought it seems to me that we are entering Sodom and Gomorrah all over again. You know what that frightens me? Because I know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. But it seems that our society, and not only ours, but society at large, have again re-entered Sodom and Gomorrah. And Jesus warns us that there will be those who will say all manner of evil against us falsely for his name's sake. Peter warns us that we will be reproached for the name of Christ. And if you remember last week when we looked at Moses, we saw that he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but rather chose the reproach of Christ and the difficulty of being with the Lord's people rather than the passing pleasures of Egypt and the the joy and the, the comfort of Egypt. He chose rather the reproach of Christ. And here we are this morning. We've done exactly the same thing. We've chosen the reproach of Christ as opposed to the passing pleasures of sin. Now, as I've said, this is happening today in our society. You know, and it's just a tiny minority, it seems, that wield the greatest influence in our society. I suppose that if we were to, uh, to put the number of Christians that exist in Britain today here, and the number of these people there, we would probably outnumber them 100 to 1. And yet, we are being accused, and we are being shut down because of the situation we're in. Now that's fact. 
You didn't need a preacher to tell you that. But the question this morning is, what is our response? How do we respond? How do we react to this type of situation? You and I suppose the tendency for us as human beings is to put the record straight. To protest our innocence. To get them to see sense. And to protect our good name. Billy Graham wasn't like that. Franklin Graham isn't like that. The message isn't like that. You open your eyes and see that what the message really says. You know, it's commendable, very commendable for us to stand up and protest about what's happened in our country this week. Because you and I, we are primed to stand up for ourselves. We are primed to fight for our corner and not be put down. But David says, commit you away to the Lord. Trust also in him and he, he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light. And he shall bring forth your justice as the noon day. Which is a totally different reaction to the one that you and I would automatically um, do. You know, a great example, of course, is the story that we've dealt with in great detail in Emmanuel. It's the story of Joseph. And here is a young man. He's carrying the burden of God's call upon his life. He's received a word from the Lord that he would one day, uh, he would save his family and therefore lead them into the future. You know, that was the burden that, he, that was put on him. He was the youngest but one. You know, I suppose that uh, at a very young age, that would have been a burden. And he wouldn't have known how to cope. So the first thing he does is blurt it out and tell everybody that you're all going to bow down to me. Which of course is probably the wrong thing to do because that will rub people up the wrong way. But such was the burden that was placed upon his life. But when he shared that with his family, they despised him and they got rid of him. You and I suppose we could also look at our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ because it's a mirror image of what he went through. He came to save his people and lead his people. But when he shared that with the world, they despised him, they hated him and got rid of him. He came to his own, the Bible says, and his own received him not. You know, and while in Egypt, of course we know the story, that Joseph not only was abandoned and uh, uh, exiled by his own flesh and blood, but he was also falsely accused of attempting to rape his master's wife. You know, and we've seen behind the scenes, and we know that it wasn't his fault at all. He was totally innocent, and to be commended. But that was immaterial. To the situation. Innocence didn't mean anything. He was placed in prison. And he languished in prison for 13 whole years. 11 of those years. He made no attempt whatsoever to protest his innocence. 
but he left it wholly in the hands of the Lord. And then, of course, we know, don't we, that in, in the eleventh year, he got a little impatient, and he saw an opportunity to protest his innocence. These two men came from the palace, if you remember, the butler and the baker. And he was able to um, interpret their dreams, and they said, he said to the, to the butler, he says, you were going to be restored to the palace. And he said, but when you go there, tell him about me, because I'm here under false pretenses. I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews. And also I have done nothing to warrant being here in this dungeon. Oh, if he had only shut his mouth. If he had only kept that to himself. But it's to be primed to protest our innocence. Be primed to tell people, I'm, I'm here under false pretenses. I'm here because someone else has said a lie about me. And that's how we are. But you see, he had to wait another two years. And then God did something. God did something. The butler forgot. You know, and we can see that Joseph didn't leave prison because he was innocent. Joseph left prison because God vindicated him. He didn't leave because he was innocent. He left because God vindicated him and called him out. Now can you imagine the fear in the eyes of Potiphar's wife when Joseph became prime minister? Every time she would have walked past him in the court, she would have feared for her life. But of course we see, we read no record of him having vengeance at all. Because as far as Egypt was concerned, Joseph was guilty. But God vindicated him you know and later it was God who brought his jealous brothers uh, down to him and al allowed them to bow to him and before them he vindicated his servant Joseph had to do nothing at all Imagine the fear in the eyes of his brothers when they recognized who he was. But there is no record of him wreaking vengeance on them. Because God had vindicated him. You and this is a clear picture of the Lord hanging on a cruel cross. For sins, not his own. You and he was there because of accusations that were false and yet the Bible tells us he spoke not a word there were no protests of innocence there was no outburst of being hard done by in fact the very opposite is true because when we listen in to the conversations that took, around, took place around the cross we hear these words Father forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And of course we know that Isaiah sums it up completely when he says, As a sheep before its shearers is dumb, he op so he opened not his mouth. Now, when you think about it, silence to us seems like an admission of guilt. You know, and even Isaiah goes on to say that we thought 
that Jesus was stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. We thought he was there. This guy must have done something awful for this to happen to him. And yet he never, ever once protested his innocence. And in the eyes of the world, Christ died in guilt and shame. But then, some 53 days later, Peter stands up in front of the very crowd that had condemned him to the cross. And there he proclaims, Jesus, this Jesus, God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, and therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which we now see and hear. Therefore, he says, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. What has Jesus done? He's committed all his ways to God. And it is God who has justified him. It is God who has vindicated him. And Jesus didn't have to say a word. And 3,000 people who had been responsible for nailing him to the cross as an imposter and a blasphemer now bowed the knee to him and acknowledged him as God. Isn't that incredible? That's not the way it's done. He shouldn't, surely he should have protested his innocence and shouted out and being hard done by and I'm here under false pretenses and you, you pay for this. No. Like a sheep before its shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth and he let God vindicate him because he had committed his way to God and God had responded by vindicating him before men you know our tendency is to scream and shout our tendency is, is to protest our tendency is to march on Westminster and to tell the world that we've been hard done by you know why should these people stop the message of the gospel from being heard in our land but God's message and his messengers will be vindicated. God's message will be heard, will be received. You see, God is more powerful than L, G, B, T, Q, plus, or any other godless organization. More powerful than any of all these, I don't know if you've been reading uh, reports that have come out of Iran in the last couple of months. And there are literally thousands and thousands of people in Iran, which is probably the most godless nation on the planet. It is the most anti-Israel uh, nation on the planet, anti-world nation on the planet. And there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are actually turning to Jesus. How can that happen? How can that happen? I tell you why it can happen. Because God is there. 
God is in that situation. And God vindicates his message. And he vindicates his messengers. And he gets over his point. And he draws men and women to themselves. You know, I said last week that Jesus delighted himself in God. And God gave him the desires of his heart. Now it didn't seem, didn't it? That didn't seem that uh, going to the cross was the desire of Christ's heart. In fact, he prayed, Lord, take it from me. Take it from me. But as he delighted in the Father, so he came round to the Father's way of thinking. You know, when I used the phrase last week that he became putty in the hands of God. And God wrapped him around his little finger. And that's what prayer is. It's us becoming putty in the hands of God. So he can wrap us around his little finger and get us to be what he wants us to be. And here we can see that God, Christ delighted himself in God. And where did it take him? It took him through the Gethsemane onto Calvary, to that cruel cross, that agony and that shame. But this week, we see Christ committing himself to God. But, and Christ, God takes him that little step further. Where does he take him? Now he takes him to the seat, to a seat on the throne of the majesty on high. Giving him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Who would have thought that that pathetic figure hanging on a bloody tree we would see sitting on a glorious throne. And he never said a word. This is God's doing and it's marvellous in our eyes. It's marvellous in our eyes. What about us? Are we still shouting our innocence to a world that accuses us? Do we strive to put our case forward to set the record straight? Well, perhaps, even for us, it's time to commit our ways to the Lord. It's time to trust also in Him. And He will bring it to pass. And He will bring forth our righteousness and our light and our justice as the noonday. And I tell you this, he'll do a much better job than you and I will. <laughs>